0: Every time you're placing your baby down for sleep, you want to be placing him or her down on their back. So back in the 90s is when the back to sleep campaign started and we saw the incidence of SIDS drop drastically.
1: To the New Mamas Podcast. This podcast was created to help first time moms everywhere navigate this new stage of life and to talk about the honest and the raw moments in motherhood. I'm your host, Lena Forrestal. I'm a working mom by day and a blogger and photographer by mid afternoon. And as a first time mom myself, I'm on this journey with you. So, New Mamas, let's do it. Let's kick off the episode and get to the good stuff. So today's topic is one that is near and dear to my heart because I would say that my top anxiety when I came home from the hospital with Archie was safe sleep and SIDS. Like you always see these things about sleep But it never really truly sinks in until that little baby's in your arms. And it's just like, it's like a huge wow. And I remember being so confused about how new parents got any sleep because I was so scared to not watch him while he sleeps. And Jen, like, I'm pretty sure this sounds like totally insane, but literally, I stayed up all night watching him sleep. Watching The Office, reruns of the Great British Baking Show. And I was nervous to like not be seeing him. And I think I thought that he would just magically roll over and flip onto his stomach and suffocate, which sounds dramatic. And now that I know like that newborns don't necessarily have that like hip movement power, I feel a little silly. But I think that, Jen, our conversation today will help new moms sleep better because When I was reaching out on Instagram to other moms, I found that I'm not the only one that has these like crazy, crazy thoughts. That's why today we're interviewing Jennifer Gilman. Jennifer is a senior sleep consultant at Goodnight Sleep Site. Jen, thank you so much for joining us, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank
0: you so much, Lena. And I do, before I introduce myself, want to say everything you just described is so normal. And more moms are thinking those thoughts or having those same feelings that you did. You're not an aberration of what many new parents go through in terms of anxiety, bringing baby home, especially around sleep. So I think it's great that you're sharing your feelings and experiences because the more we can talk about it and connect, the more empowered we can be. So that's great. But yes, so I am a certified sleep consultant with Goodnight Sleep Sight. My certification comes through the Family Sleep Institute, which is a comprehensive sleep consultant certification program. I've been working as a sleep consultant for over three and a half years, and I've helped hundreds of families from babies to toddlers to school-age children get the sleep they need. In my personal life, I'm a mom of two girls. They are eight and 10, and really, they're the reason I'm a sleep consultant, because I made every single mistake, and I say mistake with air quotes, in the book with my firstborn, we co-slept, I nursed to sleep, I rocked her for 25 minutes and put her down and did the army crawl out of the room. And really, I say that I martyred myself for her and her sleep needs, and it really took a toll on me and our family. And so eventually, we started to work on her sleep when she was nine months old. And that was really life-changing for us. And then when I had my second two years later, I knew I couldn't do that again. I couldn't be in that same position because I had a two-year-old walking around the house. So we started working on healthy sleep habits with my second daughter when she was eight weeks old. Nothing formal, and maybe we may get into this a little bit when we're talking today, but She was a great sleeper until she was 17 months old, and then everything fell apart. I went back to the sleep books I had used with my first daughter, and nothing worked. And so that's when we actually ended up using a sleep consultant, and my true interest in sleep was peaked, and I pursued the certification. So that's my journey with sleep. I've been there, and it really is so amazing to help families get the sleep they need, because I know how life-changing it is when you go from being completely sleep-deprived
1: to now getting the sleep that, that you need. Oh yeah. Sleep is such an essential. And it's kind of funny when I heard you like say the mistakes with air quotes around them that you made, like co-sleeping and nursing. I'm like, uh, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. And it's so funny because I kind of like you're, yeah, I'll just admit this. Like before having Archie, I was like following like some sleep accounts and doing some reading and I was like, I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Like some moms want to do that and that's like cool and all, but I'm just going to do my own thing.
0: Well, I think there's so much that goes into it too. Every baby is different. Every baby's temperament is different. Every mom and dad are different, right? No two experiences are the same and that can even be with your own children. So you know, there are many families that I work with where I'm not working with their firstborn. I'm working with their second or third child. And they're like, I don't get it. My first two weren't like this. And everything has to do with our kids' temperaments and what our lifestyle is, too. So, so there's a lot that goes into that.
1: Yeah. So, Jennifer, I know that a lot of new moms come home from the hospital with anxiety around SIDS, which stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, for those of you listening and you never heard of it, and sleep. What can a new mom do to prepare her newborn for safe sleeping?
0: Such a great and important question, Lena. And I think once new parents are equipped with the knowledge, they can let all of those fears and anxiety go. So when we're talking about SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, there are standard recommendations for safe sleep environments for our infants, and they should be followed up until age 12 months. So you want to make sure that your baby has their own sleep space. Many times when we bring baby home from the hospital, parents will have a bassinet in the room with them or a co-sleeper or crib or pack and play. All of those are great safe sleep options for your baby. So you want to make sure whether it's in your room with you or in their own room, they have their own space to sleep in. So that's one big important thing. The other thing is that every time you're placing your baby down for sleep, you want to be placing him or her down on their back. So back in the 90s is when the Back to Sleep campaign started, and we saw the incidence of SIDS drop drastically. So it is the safest position for our babies to sleep. Once your baby is older, closer to the four-month age, but can happen as early as eight weeks old, and they can roll on their own, that's fine you still want to be putting your baby down to sleep on their back. So that's another big thing. The last piece is that they are alone in their sleep space with nothing else. So when you've got that bassinet or the crib or the pack and play ready for them, you want to make sure that there's nothing else in there with your baby. So no bumpers or blankets, pillows or stuffed animals, just the fitted crib mattress sheet Or if you've got the bassinet, the specific bassinet sheet that works for your bassinet for your baby, having an area to sleep in that's flat, firm, and boring is safest for our little ones. And that really is the most important thing when we're talking about reducing the risk of SIDS. And if you're following those recommendations, then you've already really controlled for the biggest risk factor with SIDS.
1: Yes. All of that is so good and so important. And it makes me feel better to hear you say that pack and plays are okay because I slept with Archie downstairs in a pack and play (laughs) for Mm -hmm. the first like four to six weeks of his life. And I don't know why the mattress that we got didn't get delivered. And I like just honestly didn't bother to buy a new one. I don't know why. I I just didn't. Yeah. And yeah, he slept in a pack and play for a while, but but actually, when it comes to like tools, and I mentioned the mattress, so I ended up getting the Newton mattress, which for those of you listening, it's a it's a breathable mattress. I actually tried to suffocate myself in it. I uh, <laughs> stuffed my face like in the mattress and like tried to breathe. I know this sounds really crazy, but man, the things we do for right, our babies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is truly breathable. How do you feel about tools like that, like breathable mattresses? Do you think they're worth the price tag?
0: So it's
1: certainly something
0: that companies have realized parents will buy when we stick the term breathable on it or anything kind of related to sleep or saying it's gonna make your baby sleep better or safer. The truth of the matter is terms like breathable or breathability are not regulated and Mm -hmm. anyone can throw that label on their product. So I'm not saying whether or not or other kind of products are breathable or not, but it isn't something you have to have in order to make your baby's sleep environment safe. The most important thing actually is that your crib mattress is as firm as possible. And the best way to do that is to take a 10 pound weight or something that weighs 10 pounds and put it in the mattress. And if the mattress depresses more than an inch, then it is not firm enough for your infant that's the safety test for your mattress. And that's the best thing that you can do. In terms of whether the Newton mattress is what you go with, that's totally fine. But I don't want parents to feel like the only way they can provide a safe sleep environment for their baby is if they buy the most expensive crib or the most expensive crib mattress or any of those products. Cribs and safe sleep spaces have to follow certain safety standards. So your $80 crib that you can get at Walmart or Target has to follow the same safety standards as a much more expensive one that you might find at Pottery Barn Kids or you know restoration hardware or something like that. So don't feel like you have to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to make a safe sleep environment. You don't.
1: Oh, good. Because we definitely have the Walmart crib.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it, looks fine. Totally.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I know exactly which crib you're talking about too, like the restoration (laughs) hardware and the Pottery Barn kids. Those are beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, we just didn't feel ready to make that kind of investment. But then when it came to the mattress, actually, the mattress was like I was sobbing my eyes out because I haven't slept. Right. For Mm -hmm. weeks. And I ended up buying that out of, I don't care. I just want to sleep. But actually, while we're on the subject of tools and mattresses and expensive things, how do you feel about sleep monitoring products like Owlet Sleep Sock and the Nanit cameras? And I know there's a couple others out there. Do you feel like they can help increase anxiety or decrease anxiety? What's your take as a professional in this?
0: So a lot of research shows that products that give us that kind of data, either sleep data or like oxygen saturation level data, things like that, have a lot of false alarms and false information getting kind of transmitted to us, however that application works. There's no kind of right or wrong for you as a family. It can do harm if it has a lot of false alarms and makes your anxiety higher. Truly, if it's something that gives you peace of mind, go for it. Use it. I wouldn't take everything it's saying as the most accurate information. Many times when I'm working with families and they have one of those uh, sleep tracking monitors, the data is off. And so this isn't an attack on any of those companies. I think they provide some good information and peace of mind for some families, but I just don't think anyone needs to feel like they have to have a product like that in order for their baby to sleep well or to sleep safely. It's not a have to. I do think having a video monitor is a nice tool. I always joke we've survived millennia as a species without video monitors, but now that we have them, it's a nice tool to have to give us peace of mind, but it's not something you have to have. I would rather just a regular video monitor versus one of the ones with all the bells and whistles.
1: Right, yeah, I'm. I'm glad to hear you say that because I definitely do use a old video monitor. You know, the one where the image looks really bad, like it's all <laughs> pixelated. Mm-hmm. And I do have the Owlet sleep sock, but I don't have it hooked up to my phone anymore because I found that I had super bad anxiety when if I saw his like oxygen drop from a hundred to eighty, it was. Like my whole world crashed, even though 80 is perfectly fine. So I actually just have it onto the, like connected to the base station, all Bluetooth, and that's it. So it's interesting. I've had a friend that had a false alarm go off with her outlet. And again, it isn't an attack on any of these companies, but the false Mm -hmm. alarms can definitely increase anxiety.
0: Yep, absolutely. And so when we're thinking about safe sleep and reducing that risk of SIDS, the best thing you can do is control your baby's sleep environment and know they're in that safe sleep environment. That's going to be the best thing for you to kind of invest your time and energy into is the safe sleep environment versus any of these products with claims of making your baby safer.
1: Right. I totally agree with that. And while we're on the subject of safe sleep, so I loved that you gave. The example of using the 10 pound weight, that is so good. I'm actually going to do that after this episode. <laughs> but let's talk about co sleeping and bed sharing.
0: Mm-hmm. For our
1: audience, what's the difference? And what do you recommend and not recommend? And I know this is a loaded question. So
0: Yeah, so there's a lot in that question for sure. So bed sharing means when your baby is sleeping in your bed with you. And co-sleeping can sometimes mean the same thing. Some people use that term in the same way of having baby share the same sleep space as you. But other people use the term co-sleeping as just meaning baby is in mom's room, but not on the same sleep surface. So we could call that really room sharing versus Bed sharing. That can be a little bit clearer. So, the American Academy of Pediatrics does not recommend bed sharing. Babies should have their own sleep space. The American Academy of Pediatrics also recommends room sharing up to the age of 12 months. So, when we're talking about room sharing, the reason why the AAP recommends it is it's been shown to be a protective factor when we're talking about SIDS. So protective factor, you can kind of think about it as wearing your seatbelt in the car. So wearing your seatbelt in the car makes you safer if you were to get into a car accident. Not wearing your seatbelt doesn't increase the risk of you getting into an accident. Now, of course, I'm not recommending that you don't wear your seatbelt. But what I do mean is room sharing keeps your baby safer in the possible chance that there was a SIDS event. Not room sharing doesn't increase the likelihood of a SIDS event taking place with your baby. I don't know. Does that make sense, Lena, the way I just described that?
1: Yes. Actually, that's a great analogy.
0: Yeah. It's not my analogy. I borrowed it from someone else, so <laughs> so I can't take credit for that. So the room sharing situation can be really nice in the beginning months when your baby is still needing night feeds. And waking frequently throughout the night, especially when you're recovering from labor and delivery and you don't want to have to get up out of bed and walk down to the nursery all the time. Now, I will say other research shows that at four months of age and on, both baby and parents tend to sleep worse with continued room sharing, basically because you're both waking each other up with all of your noises. That doesn't mean that room sharing can't go on longer than four months. Every family needs to make the decision that's right for them, that they're comfortable with, and also what you have the space for. There are many families that I work with that live in one-bedroom apartments, and so everybody's sleeping in the same room, and we really just work on making that sleep environment as safe and conducive for sleep as much as possible, again, with baby and parents having their own sleep spaces. So Talking about bed sharing a little bit more, the reason why the AAP doesn't recommend bed sharing is because we have seen many, many cases of accidental suffocation when baby and parents share the same sleep space. And so when we're talking about safe sleep for our babies, it really isn't worth the risk to have your baby in bed with you to have that possible suffocation happen either from the bedding that's on your bed or the the mattress being too soft for your baby or from, God forbid, rolling over on top of your baby. And so this really does happen to families. And so the risk isn't worth it, to be honest.
1: So I have a question then. Is bed sharing not recommended for all of the months of infancy? So from from zero to... 12 months? Okay. Yes. That's a good clarification. So, okay. So here's a question. And I am a little bit embarrassed, of course, to admit this, but we have had a bad habit of bed sharing sometimes with Archie. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm anxious. about. And actually, this is so relevant because I didn't sleep last night. Like I've been up since 3 a.m. Because now – he'll wake up in the middle of the night and just want to be in our bed. Like he'll sleep soundly on his back, like in our bed with us, or he'll, you know, want to snuggle up to me and feed. But then as a result, I don't sleep because mm-hmm. I'm nervous because I know all the dangers of bed sharing. And, and so, you know, sometimes we'll lay down for a snuggle, but I think it's a lot different like doing an actual like s- sleep session but what do you recommend yeah. for like how do I get my infant out of the bed yeah. and and out of like wanting to be in there?
0: Totally. And Lena, I don't think you should feel embarrassed or shame at all for for bed sharing sometimes cuz when you're tired and it works or it's easy, so many parents end up in that situation. So shame shouldn't shouldn't be part of it. And I will say a lot of what you're experiencing now with Archie as he's getting older makes sense, right So our babies now become more alert or interactive and the old tricks or sleeping all the time doesn't always work. And what we can see or I should actually backtrack and say to help get Archie and your baby into their own sleep space, it's really a practice. I know Lena that you've been working on getting Archie to take his naps in the crib, which is really a good step in the right direction. And the more that you offer sleep in his crib, the easier it's going to be. So whether it is you helping Archie fall asleep and put him down in his crib or working on him fall asleep on his own in the crib, those are both okay. There's no right or wrong there. Whatever is going to work for you to get him to sleep in his own space goes.
1: Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess where I'm getting hung up is – He'll wake up. He'll cry. I'll put him in the bed, nurse him, change him. And then I try to put him back in the crib and then he cries. And you know what? I don't think I'm really giving him a chance to fall back asleep on his own because when he cries, I'll just immediately pick him back up and put him back in the bed, which I know sounds terrible. Like I'm like kind of laughing now that I say that because it does sound a bit ridiculous. Like I am not giving him a chance.
0: Not at all. I don't think it sounds ridiculous at all because I think all the moms listening are going to be like, yeah, me too, because it's true. (laughs) That's what most parents do. But I think the more time that you can give him in the crib, the more comfortable he's going to be in there and the more he's going to figure out how to fall asleep on his own in there. If you wanted to move forward with using a sleep training method As a different response, instead of picking him up and nursing him, then you can go that route. And there are several sleep training methods that you can use with him at his age. There's not just one, and there isn't one way of doing it, of getting him to that place of independent sleep. But what we do tend to find, especially with nursing babies, is they start to wake up more frequently if they know mom is right there because they can smell you. They love that nursing time. It's really his favorite thing to do. So if that's available to him, he'd much rather nurse and then fall asleep on you than just be sleeping on his own. So getting him used to being in his own sleep space and not necessarily nursing to sleep all the time is going to help him become more independent at those times.
1: Yeah, that is so true. You mentioned different sleep methods. Mm-hmm, sleep training methods. Yeah. Actually, to share with our listeners and with me yeah. <laughs> what those different methods are
0: Yes. So there's actually too many for me to go through in the time that we have today, but I can touch upon a few different ones.
1: I had no idea there was so many.
0: There are so many. And what you'll find is some methods work better for certain age levels, right? So some are better for our babies who might be more around the 12 to 16 week age. Others are better for our four to six month Olds, others are better for maybe our toddlers, right? So, there's first of all, it's like it's never too late to work on sleep, but also the age of your baby matters. And then also your baby's temperament matters too. So, babies that are more flexible and easygoing may respond better to one method than a baby who might be more sensitive or strong willed will respond better to another method. So, that being said, You know your baby and you also know what you can be consistent with. And that's kind of where you should go in researching sleep training methods and knowing which one to use for your family. And in general, all of the methods, the basis of sleep training is that you are going to respond in a different way to your baby's cry if they cry during like a a sleep time while they're in their crib or bassinet than what they're used to to get them to sleep right? So we want to remove whatever external help gradually that we're offering them for sleep, whether that's being rocked or being fed to sleep, bounced. There are many different sleep associations holding the pacifier in the mouth, right? So there's really so many different things. One example of a sleep training method would be a pickup put down method. We can see this work well with babies that are Three or four months old, where if your baby is in the crib crying, you can go in, pick up baby, calm baby down, and then once baby's calm, put him or her down in the crib again and give them another opportunity to fall asleep on their own. You can decide how long that opportunity is going to be. Is it two minutes? Is it five minutes? It's really up to you, but you leave, let your child have that chance. If they fall asleep, awesome. If they need some help, you'd go back in, pick them up to calm them down, and then put them down again and leave and give them that time again. So hence why it's called pick up, put down, if that makes sense. So that's one method of sleep training. Another one would be a ferberizing, which many people hear, or pause and peak method, which is using similar timed intervals, right? So pick up put down you decide on a time limit that you're comfortable and letting your baby try to fall asleep on their own. For this one, we would use timed intervals that are increasing in length. So maybe it's 5, 10, 15 minutes or something like that. When you go in at those timed intervals, you're going to be giving your baby a check so that you get reassurance, but really the goal would be to calm your baby and send them that calming reassurance that they're okay. Instead of picking them up all the way, you can just do a rub on their chest, or if they have learned how to roll over on their own, a rub on their back if they're on their belly. And you'd have a nice calming phrase to say when you go in there. And then you'd also leave and give them more time to fall asleep on their own. Because it really is a skill they're working on to fall asleep without that help they're used to, and they just need some time to practice it. So this is one way you're giving them that time to practice. It is normal for our babies to cry when we change what they're used to. One term that's thrown around a lot when talking about sleep training is cry it out. Yes. Yeah. So cry it out can sometimes be used to describe every single sleep training method. And then some people will use it to describe leaving your baby in their crib and not going back in. So there's really a range of what cry it out means to different people. And I think it is important to talk about crying with our babies and sleep because our babies will express their dislike or frustration or the fact that they're overtired with crying. They don't have any other form of communication to let us know what they're thinking or feeling. That being said... If your baby has a true need, you're going to respond to it. If it's time to eat, if they need the diaper change, if they're sick, if they're in pain, you're going to help your baby. If your baby is crying because they are overtired or because they don't like that you're not nursing him to sleep, you want to stay consistent with your response in whatever sleep training method you have used or chosen so that you can help create a new habit and association for your baby at sleep times. I hope that kind of explains a little bit about what some people feel cry it out is and, and what crying can mean for our babies at sleep times.
1: Yes. I think that cry it out method gets a bad rap because people maybe misuse it. So I think you really helped clarify that. And I had no idea there were so many different strategies as a sleep consultant is something you do with families is you kind of you audit the situation that's happening and you recommend a sleep strategy to follow. Yep. So when
0: I'm working with families, I offer families multiple sleep training options that work for their baby at their baby's age and I always explain how each method's implemented and the pros and cons of each method. And then the family chooses which method they want to use. You know your baby best, you know your baby's temperament, and you also know what you're going to be able to be consistent with, and that's the most important. So I'm never telling a family what method to use. It really is a collaborative piece. But I do wanna touch upon one other thing, Lena. So the, the independent sleep skills that we get with sleep training is one piece of the sleep puzzle. But it isn't the only piece. And if we only address the independent sleep skills, that often isn't enough to get sleep to a place of consistency for our babies. And every family is different in where they are with what they need for their baby's sleep. But if you're trying to get sleep to a consistent and predictable place, you want to work on independent sleep skills. But you also want to make sure your baby's sleep environment is safe and conducive for sleep and that they're getting enough sleep by offering the right amount of naps and bedtime early enough for them at their age. So those pieces also play a role when we're talking about sleep, too. It's not all about the methods
1: sometimes. Mm, right. You kind of mentioned it, like the right amount of naps. Do you recommend being on a schedule schedule? That was something that I also scoffed at before I had a baby. I was like, oh yeah, who needs a schedule? I just, I'm just i just gonna do things whenever. And I quickly found out that trying to juggle like work and taking care of baby and feeding myself and all the other things that I like to do, it's hard to not have a schedule. I think I need a schedule, but what do you recommend?
0: Yeah, great question. So when we're talking about our newborns, There's no such thing as a sleep schedule, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Our newborns are not born with an internal clock or any circadian rhythms. So innately, sleep is unpredictable for them. I know I found that very frustrating as a new mom because I was an elementary school teacher before I had kids, and I thrived on routine and predictability. Mm -hmm. So having this stage of unpredictable sleep where I could have a day where my baby took great naps did an amazing job sleeping at night and then do the exact same thing the next day and get different results that drove me crazy. But that really is normal for our newborns. Right around 16 to 18 weeks of age is when our babies develop their internal clock. A lot of times you'll hear people call that the four month sleep regression. Yes. Yeah, it's not really a regression as it is. Our baby's sleep needs are changing from that unpredictable newborn sleep to now they have this internal clock and they want sleep to be predictable. And this advice is true for our babies, but for us as adults too. The advice is go to sleep at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning for adults. Don't sleep in on the weekends. And for our kids, it gets that way too where we want to be offering sleep at the same times every day once they're that 4-month age and older. So that sleep becomes predictable and routine. It's easier on our bodies biologically so that we're producing the hormones that we need to in order to sleep and the hormones that we need to in order to be awake at the same time every day. So after that four-month mark and on, a sleep schedule can be really helpful. That being said, every baby is different and some babies can handle a flexible sleep schedule. Other babies are more sleep sensitive and can't handle too much fluctuation in their sleep schedule. And so you're going to learn quickly from your own baby where they fall on that spectrum. And as much as us as moms feel like we get to call the shots, when it comes to your baby's temperament and what they can handle, we don't actually have too much control in that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yes. I don't feel like I call many shots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so, so helpful. I feel like I'm learning so much. And I'm sure our listeners are too. When you work with a family, do you kind of continually assess the sleep, like how sleep is going? Do you recommend different sleep schedules for different age ranges, for example? So for example, Archie's five months now, if I were to work with you, would you be recommending sort of a different strategy when he is 10 months.
0: Yep. So, definitely our babies have different sleep needs based on how old they are. And so when I work with families, we are making sure the schedule offered is ideal for that baby's age. There are small changes that happen from 4 months to 12 months of age with sleep. We have three naps in the beginning of that age range, so Archie should probably be having three naps still a day and a nice early bedtime. And then right at around the six to eight month mark is when that third nap is typically dropped. But then the two naps stay into the picture really up until 15 months of age. So we are making sure baby is getting enough sleep during the day. And that bedtime is right on target too when I'm working with families. And we cover all of that too. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. I like how you mentioned it right on target because I feel like I'm like that now, like 530. I run the bath six o'clock. Like I feel almost like a crazy person, but I have to be because I get into that witching. I guess I heard mm-hmm. this the other day, the witching hour. Totally, it's So true. So true. Like something clicks in him and he's, he's ready to go to bed. Absolutely. Yep. It's called a sleep wave, actually, you
0: know, where It's like a 10 to 15 minute window where our body temperature lowers just slightly and we produce that sleepy hormone melatonin. So we need melatonin in order to fall asleep and we all produce that naturally. And if we're in a conducive sleep environment and we have those independent sleep skills during the sleep wave, we'll fall asleep on our own easily. If something's off, and this is true for us as adults, maybe we're not in a conducive sleep environment or we don't know how to fall asleep on our own. or As adults, there's a lot of factors that get in the way, whether we're on our technology devices too much or we're nervous about something. But what happens is we then miss our sleep wave when we don't fall asleep at that time. And then our body starts to produce adrenaline and cortisol to fight sleep. And then it's harder wow. to go to sleep. So that's when we see our babies enter that overtired zone. So we can see them as getting a second wind, Or we can see it as crying, the world is ending, nothing's gonna make it better. Those are our typical overtired reactions in our babies and toddlers. And we wanna try to avoid that by hitting those sleep waves as best as we
1: can. Oh my gosh, catching the wave, like just that, like I can literally visualize that because I feel like as an adult, I totally feel that. And talking about like a second wind or an adrenaline, I'm cringing right now, but I'm going to quickly tell you this story. I brought Archie out to dinner with me one night when COVID over to summer was a little less bad mm-hmm. and we could do outdoor dining. Yeah. I brought him out to dinner with me and it was definitely past his bedtime and he was fussy for a while and then he got a second win and he was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just Totally. But like, I don't know. I just like now I like cringe when I think about that experience. I'm like, yeah, I really shouldn't have... Done that. And that wasn't, that was just like a one time thing. And I
0: would say, no, don't do that. I don't think, you know, none of what we're talking about is to make any mom or parent feel badly about themselves. Information is power. And I would also say it's okay to have those times that we're out a little later or we don't follow the sleep schedule to a T. You have to do what's right for your family. And for some parents, staying consistent all the time helps them feel better and works for their family. For others, again, having a more flexible schedule, not sticking to a sleep schedule, if their baby can handle that, that's fine. And then of course there is a happy medium between the two where you're going to find a balance where sometimes you can stay out later. Sometimes you're really going to make sure that the sleep schedule is at the priority. So there's a balance for sure.
1: I love that. And Actually, speaking about kind of condition, like different families, are your recommendations the same for a working mom or a stay-at-home mom? Like are there, is it different recommendations?
0: Not really. Our baby's sleep needs are the same whether mom's working outside the home or at home or wherever we are right now or not. I will say the only difference would be if baby is going to daycare or someone else is caring for a baby, then we want to work with the caretaker or the daycare provider to help make sleep be as successful when it's not mom or dad watching the baby. Daycare have strict protocols they need to follow with safety here in New Jersey Anytime that you are looking for a daycare for your baby, I certainly would ask about their safe sleep practices and what their routines are with sleep. They should know everything that I just talked about with sleep and safe sleep. Maybe not so much schedules or sleep training methods, but safe sleep should be a non-negotiable when we're talking about
1: a daycare provider. Oh my gosh, that's huge. I never even thought of that.
0: Yeah, It's really important. And I will say, most daycare providers are educated and knowledgeable and on top of it because they want what's best for your baby. That's in everybody's best interest to have a safe sleep environment. So typically, they're right on top of it and you should feel good about that. But also, you can ask, you know, what do you do if my baby has a hard time napping or what is your sleep schedule like? Those are questions that you can ask. You can ask them, hey, if I tell you a little bit about our nap routine at home, do you think you can try to do that at daycare too? So that you're setting your baby up for success when they're at daycare. That being said, it is a transition when you start daycare or having someone else care for your baby. So even if grandma or grandpa is going to start watching your baby while you go to work, or maybe you have a nanny coming in, communicating clearly what your routines are, what your schedules are that work for your baby, that's important. But it will take probably a couple weeks for your baby to get adjusted to that new kind of caretaking situation. That's normal.
1: You're blowing my mind. <laughs> There's like, so much to talk about, right? <laughs> like you're like blowing my mind. Okay. It's a lack of sleep, Jen. I'm telling I know. you. know you
0: are tired. You've been up for way too long. Lena. You need – actually, don't take a nap now. Just go to bed early.
1: <laughs> yes. I just have two last questions before we wrap it up. So I know this one's a very popular one, and you probably get this all the time, but when should your baby start sleeping the night?
0: Such a good question, Lena, and it is actually a loaded question because sleeping through the night has a variety of different meanings for different people. So really, we can say your baby is sleeping through the night if they're getting a stretch that's six to eight hours long. And really what that means is maybe your baby is going down, sleeping for six hours, has a feed, goes back down and sleeps for another four to six hours or something along those lines. And that can happen as early as really, I'd say eight weeks of age. Every baby is different and different factors go into that in terms of weight gain and growth overall. If we're talking about Sleeping through the night with no night feeds, you know, you say goodnight, put baby down in the crib and don't go back in until it's morning time because they're sleeping soundly. I mean, that can happen as early as four months of age. That doesn't mean it's going to for everybody. Every baby is different in how they go about dropping night feeds, typically by six months of age, if there's no medical or weight gain concern. Most babies no longer need a feeding in the middle of the night from six months and on. That is something to discuss with your pediatrician though. But before that age, certainly having a night feed or two is normal. So sleeping through the night has a big variety of meanings. I'm not sure if that is the answer that you or the listeners want to hear, but getting long stretches of sleep can happen certainly before four months of age, but at four months and on, it can be a goal that's easily
1: achievable. No, that is a huge, huge help because I feel like especially in that four to six week window when you you first get home and you're battling the newborn stage, I think those thoughts definitely go through your mind of, okay, when am I going to see the light? Right, <laughs> right.
0: totally. When is this going to end?
1: Yeah, <laughs> And I know the other question that's really popular is how long should your baby be napping? I think I mentioned to you before that Archie sleeps about 30 minutes each time, like their little cat naps. And is that normal? Should he be sleeping longer? What do you usually say?
0: Yeah. So it's a great question, and it really does depend on your baby's age. Our newborns can sleep 20 hours in a 24-hour period. And then that gradually decreases as they get older. And it will also vary how many naps a day they have in those first eight to 12 weeks. So it might be as many as six naps a day and gradually get down to five or four or three naps. Now, once again, we're at that four month age and on where the circadian rhythms are developed. Then we're going to be at a three-nap or less sleep schedule. So, at Archie's age at the five-month range, he should be having a nice long morning nap, a long afternoon nap, and a short tied knee-over cat nap. That really should be getting him around three and a half hours total of day sleep. And these are averages, of course, right? So, some babies are going to need more than that, some babies are going to need less than that. But on average, that's where a five-month-old would be with sleep needs for naps.
1: Okay. That is super, super helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, finally, tell me more about Goodnight Sleep Sight and what you and your team does.
0: Yeah. So I'm thrilled to be part of the Goodnight Sleep Sight team. I have a national counterpart based in Toronto. And there's a team of 20 of us who are sleep consultants around the U.S. and Canada. And we work with clients all over the world in really designing personalized sleep plans and supporting families one-on-one implementing those plans. We also have an online DIY newborn program and an online DIY baby sleep program for babies four months to 12 months of age. So there's lots of options out there for families to get sleep support with Goodnight Night Sleep Site, You can find me at goodnightsleepsite.com slash Jennifer. Also on Instagram, I'm at GNSS underscore Jennifer. And on Facebook at Goodnight Night Sleep Site Jennifer. So certainly reach out in any of those platforms to ask me sleep questions or schedule a free 15-minute Consultation. I love talking sleep. And really, this was so fun, Lena.
1: Oh, yay. <laughs> I can attest to Jen's knowledge because she also spoke at the NJ Mom Baby Expo. And I was so thrilled to be able to attend one of her sessions. And she is just phenomenal and so knowledgeable about sleep, guys. So definitely. Give her a follow on Instagram, on Facebook, DM her. And if you missed her sites, I'll be linking everything in the show notes today. So Jen, thank you so much for joining and everyone catch you all next week for the next episode.
0: Thank you so much, Lena.
1: For joining us this week on the New Mamas Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. Have a friend that would like this podcast? Share the love. Stay in touch. Definitely give us a follow on Instagram at New Mamas Podcast. I'd also love to continue the conversation with you on my personal account, so let's be friends. Slide into my DMs at Lena Forrestal. Finally, be sure to check out my blog at linaforesell.com for all things motherhood, homesteading, and recipes that both you and baby will love. Thanks again, and stay tuned for next week's episode.